Good morning and welcome to our service of worship this morning at First Church in New Knoxville. We're so glad you're here with us to worship the Lord together. We're going to start our service this morning with a prelude.
Beautiful. Okay, thank you for offering our prelude up this morning. Once again, we want to welcome you to First Church in our worship service this morning. There's several announcements I want to cover for us today before we continue on in our service. First of all, again, welcome to all those that are listening on the radio and watching along on Facebook Live. Uh, We're so grateful that we have this technology available that during this time of uh, dealing, continuing to deal with this pandemic, that we're able to worship together both in person, but also through those two ministries. In fact, our offering this morning that we'll be uh, collecting at the door on your way out or given through our website is for the radio ministry this morning. So I encourage you to give in support of that as we are able to, to utilize that ministry and worship, continue to worship together as a church family in that way. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Wayne and Nancy Bumbar, who will celebrate 60 years of marriage on July 16th. Happy anniversary to them this morning. There is no junior and senior high youth backyard Bible study tonight uh, because we are having a uh, family pool party at Wapakoneta Public Pool with our friends at the United Methodist Church from 6.15 to 8.15 this evening. Uh, You can invite your friends and family to join us. All are welcome. Food will be available in the picnic area. Uh, The churches will provide hot dogs, and we ask that you please bring a dish to share if you plan on eating tonight. We hope you can join us. It's going to be an opportunity for fun and fellowship uh, and, and that is at six, from 6.15 to 8.15 tonight. Just a note about later our service this morning. We will be serving communion. Uh, as we did previously, we are not going to be passing the plates as we normally would. Uh, as you came in the building today, uh, if you came in our two main entrances, you saw the tables of the bulletins. There were also communion trays with prepackaged communion elements. Um, if you did not get a chance to get one of those, I encourage you at some point during the service, maybe during one of the songs or something like that, you get up and get a chance and go get one of those so that at the end of our service today, we can partake in communion together. And if you're watching at home or listening on the radio, I encourage you at some point, if you're able, if you have some bread or crackers and some juice available, you can, of course, participate with us as well as we share in, uh, share in communion together at the end of the service. Uh, there's also uh, some information uh, in your bulletin as well as at the Info Center about an opportunity later this year to volunteer and help, uh, help um, pack boxes at the Operation Christmas Child Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, there's a bus trip that is being organized to the Great Lakes OCC uh, from November 30th to December 5th, and it's not too late to register. There's information at the back table both about the, the mission itself as well as a registration form to register for the trip. Um, the registration includes the travel, uh, the hotel, as well as the food, um, and you'll be able to serve in that ministry for those days, packing and Organizing the boxes that will be then shipped all around the world as part of the Operation Christmas Child Ministry. Uh, if you want more information, I'm sure you can, uh, you can reach out to myself or talk to Sharon Colson. She'd be glad to share more of the information about that with you. This time I want to invite forward Matt Tangeman and Rich Ball. They're, they're for, here from Faith Alliance Church to talk about the men's retreat that is happening at the end of September. Uh, again, there's some information about that, uh, again, at the Info Center. Uh, we talked about it last week, and I want to encourage, uh, encourage you guys to, to listen up. I'm excited to hear what they have to say about the ministry. So take it away. Good morning. Um, glad to be here today. Uh, like Pastor Joel said, uh, we just wanted to come here and kind of talk about the men's retreat a little bit. Um, this is year three since we've been doing it, and we've had a lot of uh, great uh, attendance just from our, our church. And, you know, we really talked about, you know, opening this up. And so that's why we've invited the men of uh, First Church to be part of this. Uh, saw the, the announcement in, in your bulletin, uh, September 24th through the 27th. So that's a Thursday. Um, just to know if, if there's some scheduling issues um, or um, just time away is difficult. There's usually a couple guys that leave like after work on a Thursday, so you maybe don't have to take part of the, your Thursday off because uh, there's a lot of guys go down uh, earlier in the day on Thursday. So just know that that's an option. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about just what the what the um, the days look like, as well as just some high level information. So. So, like I said, we've had such great attendance that this year, you know, we, we got this great big cabin that'll, that'll like sleep 40 plus guys and then COVID hit. So, we have all this space 
and we definitely need some guys, um, and so we're looking at what we need is about 28 guys to really kind of break even on the cost of the cabin, and we're getting close. Uh, so just want you guys to know, like, we really want you to come for real, and, you know, we invite you to be there uh, for that. Um, the $200 covers everything. It covers the stay. It covers the food, and, and we, we eat well, guys. I mean, we, we really eat well. You probably gain weight when you leave. So um, so we eat well. As far as how the, the days work, uh, we get up, eat breakfast. Um, we have a morning session where we get together and go through a time of being in God's Word and, and uh, some discussion. And then there, there's a big chunk in the middle of the day where you can kind of go do whatever. We're down in the Smoky Mountains. There's plenty of hiking opportunities. A lot of guys take advantage of that. You know, there's there's opportunities just to chill at the cabin and hang out with some other guys, get to know them uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, if, if you'd like to go downtown Gatlinburg, you know, by all means, you could do that. So a lot of options there. Um, and uh, and just so you guys know, I assume there's probably a lot of Buckeye fans here. So on that Saturday night, we, we try to you know, respect the fact that there's a game. So so there's definitely time, time to watch the game, so no worries there. Um, so, yeah, just... Just want to uh, really have you guys consider coming along. It's a great time, um, and uh, you're certainly welcome to come. I, I, Pastor Joel said you guys have some pamphlets here, so you know definitely grab one of those. And if you have any questions, you can uh, certainly speak to Pastor Joel about that. I'm going to hang around for the service. I'll be here afterwards if you have any additional questions. Uh, and I think Rich is going to talk a little bit more about the content. So, yeah, during the um, sessions in the mornings and afternoons, it's not always just the sessions, but uh, we have usually large group sessions where we talk about things that men deal with regularly um, in, in all of our lives. Um, you may not particularly be dealing with that, but somebody in the group might be, and your input would be greatly appreciated as to how God has used you in those opportunities. We also then try to break up into smaller groups. That way we get to know each other and, and different people. Um, we try not to stay as just a group of friends um, that get together. It's about growing in Christ and growing our relationships as men together to become stronger leaders um, that God, have, God has called us to. Um, when we do go out on the, um, the free time, um, it's, it is still just more growth opportunity, getting to know other men, um, helping each other out. Um, you know, some of the hikes get pretty long. Trent, if you don't know it, which he may not be there this time, but um, he loves taking the hard hikes and saying that they're easy. I'm just saying that from experience. Um, I get about halfway through some of them and have to turn around, but that's okay. Um, also, um, in mention to the, um, the Buckeyes game, I can tell you there will be one Clemson fan there. It's not me. He is actually from South Carolina. So, uh, yeah, so he was there last year. Um, he will be there again this year. Um, to, but he's a really great brother in the Lord that I know from uh, personally. Uh, so, um, again, just really encourage you to think about coming. Um, it really is about our growth and, and our relationship with the Lord and how do we bring that back to our communities and grow there. Right, thanks. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Rich, for sharing about the retreat. Um, I know I'm planning on participating in it, and I'd love if some of you here from First Church would participate as well. Um, sounds like we have a big enough cabin to fit as many people as we want, it sounds like, right? There's plenty of room. So I encourage you to, to participate, get some information at the Info Center, or just reach out to myself or Pastor Trent. Um, we'd love to spend some time fellowshipping with, with you in that way. And of course, not just growing our, our relationship with each other, but growing in our relationship with the Lord as well. So what a great opportunity it would be to do that. Uh, one other announcement I just want to share with you before we go to our call to worship, and that is, um, again, I want to just encourage you with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and the pandemic, um, masks are not required here at First Church, but I do encourage you, if you are comfortable and able to wear one, uh, if you see me before and after the service walking around with a mask on, um, it's just the one way that we can 
watch out for each other and protect each other. So there are some masks available at the doors. If you do not have one, I encourage you to do that. Again, they're not required, but I do want to encourage you um, to, to utilize them as well as the hand sanitizer and social distancing, all of that stuff. We're seeing cases on the rise again around uh, Ohio, but especially other places in the country. And it's important for us to, to watch out for each other and do what we can to love our neighbor, which means taking care of them as well. With that being said, I do want to turn our attention back to God's word this morning for our call to worship. I invite you to stand if you're able and participate with us this morning in our call to worship. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he must have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I invite you to remain standing as we sing our first couple hymns this morning. Number 86, May Jesus Christ Be Praised, and we'll go right into Fairest Lord Jesus.
be seated. I invite Shelby forward for children's chat. Good morning. Where's all my kids at? Can I have my kids stand up? Can I have my kids stand up? Oh, I can't see them all. Oh, where's some more kids? Oh, there's one. Oh, I got some kids up here. I need your help, and I actually need help from all the congregational members. See, I brought some sheep with me this morning, and I found one, and I found him here, but I can't find all the others. Can you guys see if you found them maybe in your pew? If you see them, hold up the here sign so I know where my sheep are. Oh, there's some. There's some in the back. Oh, there's some. Oh, I got three up here. Awesome. Thank you. Well, just like I needed your help finding sheep, someone is our shepherd. Who is our shepherd? Do you know, Jojo, who's our shepherd? Jesus is our shepherd. Well, just like you guys were my shepherds right now to try and help me find all of my sheep, Jesus is our good shepherd. And we're not ever lost because he knows exactly where we are. And whether I hold my sign up here or I hold my sign up here, he knows where I am every step of my way, right? Because we are his flock and we are precious to him. And he seeks us and finds us because he wants to have a relationship with us. He loves us that much. Okay? Can we go ahead and bow our heads and pray? And we're going to say a prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for always finding us. And thank you for loving us. And Lord, whenever we're lost, remind us that all we have to say is your name, Jesus. And you'll come find us. And you'll be right by our side every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. As we turn our te- continue to turn our attention to the Lord in prayer, I want to invite you to be in prayer for the family of Anthony Dia. He was the Toledo Police Department uh, officer who was killed in action last weekend. I invite you to be in prayer for his family uh, during that tragedy. I also can ask you to continue to pray for all those who, uh, those who have lost their lives uh, during this pandemic. Uh, globally, the number is 559,995. And here in the United States, that's 134,092. Again, I I, I encourage you to be in prayer for the families of these individuals. Each Each number there represents a person, represents a family that is directly feeling the impact of what has been going on around our world for the past few months. And continue to, I encourage you to continue to pray for them. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for all that you are and all that you have done for us. Lord, we are gathered here today because of you, because of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. And it is that hope we hold on to. It is it is the hope of the resurrection, the hope of forgiveness and redemption that brings us together as your people. No matter where we're from, no matter what our background is, uh, no matter where we've been, as Shelby just reminded us, we are yours and we are yours because Jesus, our good shepherd, Uh, came to seek and save the lost, and he laid down his life and rose again so that we know that we have been forgiven and that we can find the hope of eternal life in you and in you alone. We pray especially this day for those that are experiencing the loss of loved ones. We pray for the family of Officer Anthony Dia. We pray, Lord, for for comfort and peace during this difficult time. We also pray for those, Lord, who have lost, the families of those who have lost their loved ones to COVID-19. Uh, Lord, we pray, Lord, as this pandemic continues, Lord, that you would continue to heal those who have been infected. And we pray, Lord, that we as a, as a nation, as a world, as communities, as individuals would, would make wise decisions, Lord, to, to help do what we can to, to love our neighbor in a real practical way. Lord, we lift up all of these things knowing full well that your will is what's best for us, Lord. So whether it's 
Uh, We pray for those names that are in our bulletin, whether they're in need of healing or something else, Lord. We know that your will is where we want to be. We know that your good and perfect will is what's best for us. Even when we don't understand or can't see that at times, Lord, we trust you and trust that your will is what's best for us. And so we pray all of these things according to your will and in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Once again, if you're able, I invite you to stand and sing our our next hymn with us, Crown Him with Many Crowns. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles with you or your phone, I invite you to follow along with us as we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words are printed in your bulletin for you. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him and with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day the Lord will come, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're already doing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the reading of your word. And I pray now as we turn our attention and our focus to it, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in seminary back in 2011, uh, there was a, a pastor who predicted that Christ was going to return and he had a date all locked down. I don't know if any of you remember this, but it was May 21st, 2011. In fact, he had, he had accumulated enough followers that people that had quit their jobs kind of went through their life savings and, and were preparing for the end uh, by, in one sense, giving up res- their responsibilities here in this world. Uh, so we were talking about this in my seminary class and different classes. This always came up because it was, it was a current event, but obviously applied directly to, my, to our preparation for ministry. And so as that day, May 21st, 2011, drew near, we all were like, well, maybe we'll see you next week. Maybe we won't. We'll find out what happens. And sure enough, we all gathered together for class after May 21st. None of us had been raptured. None of, Jesus did not return. You see, the return of Christ has always fascinated believers. It's always been a point of interest for people, and not just in 2011. If you lived through the 80s, you know there's a popular book called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Uh, Obviously, again, that didn't happen either. But again, it's not a new phenomenon. It has gone on through the ages. From the very time that Christ ascended into heaven, his, his disciples stood there waiting for his return from that moment. So this has been going on for 2,000 years, this, this idea of, of looking for and longing for the return of Christ. And that's what Paul is addressing here in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and into chapter 5. He's addressing some specific questions. And, and before we dig into it in detail, I do need to say that, that we're not going to find all of the answers we would hope to find here in this passage. Because Paul's main concern here is not to give us a timeline for the return of Christ, to give us all of the details of what Christ's second coming is going to look like. Um, If that were so, Paul's passage here, his message would look a lot different. Instead, he's addressing two of the concerns that the Thessalonian believers obviously had. First, what about those who have died? Did they miss out on it? Did Did they miss out on the return of Christ because they died before he returned? And the second question is one that we often wrestle with, and that is the timing. When is Jesus going to come back? And so he addresses those two questions, and really those two questions only, and then goes on to tell us what we should do in response to it. So that's what I want to talk about here today. Talk about, talk about what Paul is getting at here. It's, it could be easy for us to get lost in the weeds and the details of what Christ's return means and, and, and how we can uh, try to predict what that, what that will look like or even the timing of it. But I want to encourage us today, and I want to encourage us as believers, to not get so lost in those sorts of things that we miss the main point. We see here Paul is addressing questions as a pastor, and in each instance he tells them that, that the reason he's sharing this with them, the reason he's giving them this information is so that they would be encouraged so that they would be encouraged to live lives holy and pleasing to the Lord here and now 
and not live in fear of what may or may not happen in the future. And so he tells them from the get-go, he doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to to be mistaken about what is going to take place. You see, wrong belief, misunderstanding can often lead to confusion. But correct belief, correct understanding can bring hope and assurance. See, what you believe determines your perspective and determines how you live. That's why it's so important to, to keep our minds and our hearts focused on Christ and not be distracted by other things because what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God, what we believe about the future is going to impact how we live here and now. So Paul doesn't want them and he doesn't want us to be uninformed or misguided. He wants us to be grounded in the truth. You see, we can't, we can't combat our fears, especially about the future, with wishful thinking. We need to confront our fears with the truth of the gospel, with the, the hope that only God's word can provide. You see, our hope is not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. When we think about the future, it's not that our hope is some, some sort of wishful thinking that we have in our back pocket and we just pull out one day in case we need it. No, it's, it's, it's something that is grounded in the here and now as well as the future. Our hope is firmly grounded in the reality of Christ's resurrection. The promise of Scripture is this, that we will be raised from the dead just as Jesus was raised from the dead as well. So a section of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15 that goes into this in in a lot of detail, and it's a longer passage, so I don't want to take the time to read it for you now, but I encourage you to read it on your own. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. And Paul spends this entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection and the implications of it. And he tells the believers there, he says, Christ's resurrection is key because if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is useless. It's futile. But in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And just as he was raised from the dead, we too will be raised as well. And when Christ comes back, Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, that's when we'll experience that. The dead in Christ, those who are asleep in Christ will be raised to life when he returns. He talks here about those who sleep in death. It's a common euphemism that was used in the ancient world. Ancient Greeks and Romans viewed death as this eternal sleep. You fell asleep and you just didn't wake back up again. And so Paul builds on this, but he gives it a new twist because for us as Christians, it's not an eternal sleep, right? It's, it's not a sleep from which we will never wake up. The hope we have as Christians is that when Jesus comes back, we will wake up, right? We will be raised. We will be new life. We breathe into us and we will come alive again, alive to spend eternity with Christ and his kingdom. And it's not just a New Testament idea either. Resurrection is alluded to in the Old Testament as well. In Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, the prophet says this. He says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. See, from the, from the Old Testament to the, the, to the New, our hope is that, that when Christ returns, we will be made new, right? We will be resurrected with him and live with him forever. And that's a, that's a hope that we can hold on to. It's something that can give us encouragement during difficult times. So he says we don't have to grieve like the rest of mankind because we have hope. Now notice here, he doesn't say we don't grieve at all. Of course, grief is normal and natural, especially when, it is, when we think about the death of a loved one or family member or spouse or child. Grief is normal and natural and expected. But it's not endless grief, right? It's not, it's not hopeless grief. It's grief with hope, hope in Christ and hope in the resurrection. Hope that death is not final, but just a transition into eternity. That in Christ, the dead will be raised, that those who are still alive will be gathered up with him and that we will be living forever with him in eternity. See, death has a way of of forcing us to reckon with our own mortality, right? Right? We like to avoid death. We don't like to talk about it too much as a society. We try to keep it at arm's length. But when we're, when we're confronted with death, whether it's a loved one or family member or even our, uh, even our own diagnosis, 
of a terminal illness. We're forced to reckon with our own mortality. And death has a way to put things into perspective for us. But as Christians, we have hope. Hope that death does not have the final say. And so Paul here wraps us up and and talks about the return of Christ. He talks about when Christ will come again. Again, Paul's goal here is not to explain everything that will happen in perfect detail. His goal here is to offer comfort and encouragement to people who are hurting. And so he talks about how the Lord will descend from heaven with, you know, coming on, uh, the language here, coming from the sky, coming on clouds, uh, the idea of a trumpet sound, the shout, are all words associated with God's presence throughout the Bible. In Daniel 7.13 Uh, Excuse me, cloud is often associated with God's presence on Mount Sinai, the wilderness, even in the temple when it was dedicated. And in Daniel 7.13, we get this this prophecy about one like a son of man who will come on the clouds that Jesus builds on. The trumpet and shout are all connected with God's arrival in the Old Testament. And so we don't want to get caught up in the imagery or the symbolism, but just we want to know this, that we're not going to miss it, right? When Christ returns, he's putting on a show. That, we're, that it's not going to be something secret or hidden, but, but it'll be announced from the heavens. And all of these things will work together to, to make sure that we don't miss it. And Paul here says that we're going to be caught up and we're going to meet the Lord in the clouds. Again, this is a passage that gets a lot of speculation and a lot of ink has been spilled over the years about what exactly Paul means here. And I want to focus on two things. Uh, well, excuse me, I want to focus on, on one thing here. And that is the idea that we are called to meet him. This word is an ordinary word, but it's, but it's got a lot of political connotations in Paul's day. You see, when an important dignitary, even a king himself, would go and, and visit a town, they wouldn't just let him walk all the way to the city unaccompanied. If there was word of his arrival coming, the citizens of the town would go out to meet the king, meet the dignitary, meet this important person, and then walk back into the city with him as a show of honor and respect to their visit. And that's the, kind, that's the language that Paul is using here. That when Christ returns, when we meet him in the clouds, it's not that we can escape this creation, but so that when Christ returns, we will welcome him and that he will come and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You see, our hope is not an escape plan. It's not a get out of jail free card. Our hope is for this world and this place because Christ will make this place new and redeem his creation. Right, there's so many questions that Paul leaves unanswered here. We want to know about the when, the where, the how. But again, Paul is not concerned with those questions. As one commentator put it, it's not so much the where and the how that matters as it is the with whom and for how long. And Paul reiterates here that the dead in Christ, as well as those who are still alive when he returns, will be with him and with him forever. That's the bottom line. And Paul says that this is given to us to be an encouragement. The hope in the, of the resurrection is for the here and for the now, just as, as much as it is for the future. Again, I, I said this, but I want to reiterate, our hope in Christ is not for an escape from this place. It's not a grin and bear it hope and one day we'll be taken off to heaven and not have to worry about this world anymore. It looks forward to the new creation but it doesn't mean that we are escaping our responsibilities to live for Christ here and now. See, we have a tendency, we always want to move on to the next stage of life, right? Kids always want to be older so they don't want, have to take a nap anymore. Middle schoolers can't wait to get into high school. High schoolers can't wait to be in college. College kids can't wait to graduate and go into the real world. Single people want to be married. Parents want their kids to grow up. I remember when Josephine was first born, I was leading a Bible study at my previous church, and, and actually the, the head pastor's wife was a part of that group. And during our prayer time, we were just talking about, you know, the experiences of being a new parent and, and with Josephine. And we just said, we can't wait for her to just start talking and start walking and get to enjoy that part of her life. And her name was Connie. She looked at me and said, you know, for the first year of a kid's life, you want them to start talking and walking. But then for the next 17 years, you're telling them to be quiet and sit still. See, that's the problem we have as Christians, though. We want to go forward to eternity. We want to spend eternity with Christ. And that's a good thing to want, and it's a good thing to long for. But if we, all we are doing is longing for that, we can miss out on what God has for us here and now. 
We can miss out on, on the kingdom-building work that he is calling us to here in this place. And so we're called to encourage one another. You know, what we believe, as I said before, impacts how we live today. And that's exactly why Paul is going to, talking about this here. He then goes on to talk about the timing of the return. The hope of God's people, you know, lies in the fact that God will return and he will set things right. All the evil, all the wrong in this world will be, will be set right, right? That's the hope that God's people have had from the beginning. It's the hope that is fulfilled in Christ. And Paul here talks about the timing. He says, Jesus' return will be like a thief in the night. It's a metaphor that's borrowed directly from, from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 24, he talks, Jesus used this exact same analogy. And the reason it's so powerful is because, because it's, it speaks to the unexpected nature of it. It's sudden, it's unexpected. We don't know when a thief is going to strike our homes, and so we must be prepared for it at all times. In the same way, we don't necessarily know when Christ is going to return. And so we must ourselves be prepared for his return to come at any time. All right, Jesus will come like a thief, not to rob us or to harm us, but he's coming to establish his kingdom. And like faithful servants, we want to be, we want to be found faithful when he returns. We want to be ready when he comes back. And that means being prepared here and now so that whenever it is that he returns, will be found faithful. Right? There's, there's an idea of security here. We want to know. We want to have all the details figured out because it gives us a sense of control. But Jesus says those details aren't for us to know. The only real peace and security we can have in this life is Jesus, is knowing him. Knowing his death, his resurrection, his word, his spirit living in us, his righteousness, so that when he does return, whether we are living or dead, we'll stand before the Father and be accepted in his sight because of what Jesus did for me and what he did for you. That's real security, and that cannot be taken away. And Paul then goes on, speaking, after speaking about the dead in Christ and speaking about the timing of Christ's return, he says, therefore, we must now live in light of that. He says that we must be sober and watchful. Again, echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. All right, this idea between children of light and children of darkness and those that are sober and those that are drunk, it's a contrast between how a believer and an unbeliever navigate life. Right? It's not a statement about alcohol consumption. Right? He's just using it as a metaphor to describe two groups of people, those who live in light of God's promises and in light of Christ's return and those who are not. It's, a, it's an apt analogy. Right? Wandering in the darkness is confusing. It's unhelpful and it can be dangerous. Right? Many Legos have been stepped on and many toes have been stubbed walking in the darkness in the middle of the night. Imagine driving, imagine driving down a dark country road into no, with no headlights. Right? How do you think that's going to turn out for you? Right? It's not going to turn out well. And Paul says that's exactly what living apart from Christ and apart from his promises is like. It's like wandering through life blind. It is dangerous for yourself. When we do our own thing, when we live by our own rules, when we live for the here and now instead of for eternity, it's like wandering around in the dark. We're a danger to ourselves because we risk missing out on the forgiveness and redemption that can only be found in Christ. And so we need to live, we need to live in light of that. Right? We, need to, we need to be prepared for the coming of Christ whenever that may be. I want to leave you with, with another analogy here, right? When I was younger, when I, I was, especially during summer breaks, right, I was home a lot during the day when my parents were off at work, and they would always give me chores to do, right? And I knew that, that when my parents got home, those chores needed to be done, right? That was my motivation for getting them done, right? I knew that at some point my, my dad's car, my mom's car would pull into the parking lot, they'd walk in, and they would know right away whether I had done what they had asked me to do that morning when they left for work. And so that was my motivation, right? I didn't want, I didn't want my parents to come home, and, and, and I didn't want to get in trouble, right? I didn't want to be punished for not doing what I was asked to do. See, in, in one sense, that's what, like, that's what waiting for Christ to return is about. It's not, it's not a passive waiting, but, but it's an active waiting, 
right? We, we know that Christ is going to return. We know he's going to be coming, be coming back. And I want for myself and I want for you to be ready when he does. Found, you know, finding that your chores had all been done, right? Finding that you've been living a life that is honoring and pleasing to him so that when he returns, he can look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that your word has, is a source of hope and strength for us. Lord, you don't always spell out every detail for us in your will. It is not always for us to know. But you do tell us this, that Christ, you will return. You will, you will establish your kingdom here in this world and a new heaven and a new earth. And, and you will, we, those who have died in Christ, those who are still alive at the time, will be gathered together in you to spend eternity in your presence. And that is a hope that we can hold on to. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I invite you to stand and sing our last song with us, It Is Well With My Soul. Shout.
Amen. You may be seated. As we close out our service today, we're going to do so by taking communion together. Now, a few moments of just quick instruction. We are using these prepackaged communion elements again. So for those of you that are here with us in the sanctuary, there are two layers to that top. There's a thin plastic layer that holds the wafer and then another layer, uh, another thing to peel back that has the juice. So prepare those elements as you are able, as you see fit. But as we do so, as we take communion today, we want to turn our attention to the Lord and the promises in his word. Our passage today ended with this hope that Excuse me, I just want to, forgot to bring my Bible over here with me. It ends with this, these words, right? Talking about Christ, he said, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may be together with him. You see, that's the hope that we have in Christ. And that's what communion is meant to remind us of. That when Christ returns, it is not for our wrath, it is not for our destruction, but for those that are in Christ, it is for our salvation. That we will experience the fullness of our salvation. That, that, that now that we have, we have trusted in Christ, we have put our faith in Him, when He returns, it will be to welcome us to Himself for His kingdom and His family forever. And it's not because of anything we've done to earn it, but because uh, fully because of what he has done for us, that Christ died and rose again so that we may be forgiven, so that we may be redeemed. And it is by grace that we receive this promise by faith. And so this body is meant to rep- this bread is meant to represent his body, which is broken for us. Take and feed on it, knowing that Christ has died for you. And this juice represents his blood which was shed for us, that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the gift of your body and your blood, which was broken for us, which was shed for us, that our sins would be forgiven. Lord, we confess that we are not perfect, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that you, Lord Jesus, are the Savior that we need. We thank you that you gave of yourself so that we could be forgiven. We thank you that you laid down your life so that we may live. And we pray now as we go from this place that you would encourage us and equip us to live holy and pleasing lives for you this day and live in light of your return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.